Well, I'm going to read to us, so turn there if you would, from Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14, we saw that God is guiding the people last time with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And now he guides them right into seeming disaster. So Exodus 14. Now the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel that they turn and camp before Pi-hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, opposite Baal-Zephon. You shall camp before it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the children of Israel, They are bewildered by the land. The wilderness has closed them in. Then I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them, and I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, that the Egyptians may know that I am the Lord." And they did so. Now it was told the king of Egypt that the people had fled, and the heart of Pharaoh and his servants was turned against the people. And they said, Why have we done this, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his people with him. Also he took six hundred choice chariots and all the chariots of Egypt with captains over every one of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the children of Israel, and the children of Israel were going out with a high hand. So the Egyptians pursued them, all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh, his horsemen and his army, and overtook them camping by the sea beside Pi-Hahiroth before Baal-Zephon. And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see no more again. Forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep silent. And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward, but lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea, and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh, and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots, and his horsemen. Then the angel of God who went before the camp of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud went from before them and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. Thus it was a cloud and darkness, and it gave light by night so that the one did not come near the other all that night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. And the Egyptians pursued and went after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. Now it came to pass in the morning watch that the Lord looked down upon the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud. 
and he troubled the army of the Egyptians. And he took off their chariot wheels so that they drove them with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the waters may come back upon the Egyptians, on their chariots, and on their horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and when the morning appeared, the sea returned to its full depth, while the Egyptians were fleeing into it. So the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Then the waters returned and covered the chariots, the horsemen, and all the army of Pharaoh that came into the sea after them. Not so much as one of them remained. But the children of Israel had walked on dry land in the midst of the sea, and the waters were a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt. So the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. Let's pray. Father, help us to wrap our minds around this Red Sea crossing tonight and next Sunday night. Give us the wisdom and insight, the illumination of mind and heart that we need to see and to believe. We thank you that you got glory over Pharaoh in this way. And we pray that you would continue to glorify yourself in us through our belief, through our faithfulness to believe you and go where you tell us to go. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there is so much here. I will warn you up front. We are going to look at this whole chapter once again next Sunday night. Tonight we're going to look at the story. And next week we're going to look at the the mythic overtones, the great themes that are here, darkness and dawn, death and life, wet and dry, God dividing the waters from the waters, the new creation the resurrection. But before we get there, we need to just be familiar with the basic details. What happened at the Red Sea? Now, the first question that comes to many people's mind is, where was this? And the answer is, we don't have a clue. Right? Moses is clearly trying to tell us. He gives us three different uh, locations. Pi-ha-hiroth, between Migdal and the sea opposite baal Zephon. You can triangulate that, except we don't know where any of those places are. So we don't know where it is, but we do know what it was. What is it? Well, God tells us what it is. It's God getting glory over Pharaoh. Verse 4, I will get glory over Pharaoh and over all his army. This is God getting glory over Pharaoh. That's why I've titled the sermon that. And that is the main thing we're looking at. Not... How did God move the water? Not what's the root of the exodus, but what is God doing? God is glorifying himself. And when we know that, then like Israel, at the end of the chapter, we believe him and we praise him. The first thing to see is where is it? Well, the basic idea is that it's in an area of Egyptian control. The Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the children of Israel, that they turn back. And that's the key word. Forget Pi-ha-hiroth and all those places. The basic reality is that Israel has been on the march for a few days and they are coming to the edge of the zone of Egyptian control. In fact, they're probably already roughly outside Egypt's grasp. 
And then the Word of God comes and says, turn around and go back. Not a fun command, right? We already just saw in the previous verse that God is guiding them with the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. And so the people are going to look at that pillar of cloud as it does a 180 and starts to go back toward Egypt. And they're going to say, this is a mistake. We're not following that. And so God speaks to Moses and says, this is not a mistake. We are going right back into danger. Intentionally. That's a question for us. If God calls you into danger, what are you going to say? God says, I want you to be a career missionary in Iran or some other closed country. It's easy to say, "Mm, sorry, Lord, I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb. I don't want to follow you there. That is a really bad idea. Of course, the big things don't come our way all that often. What about the little things? God is clear that if you obey him, you will lose your free time because you're ministering to somebody else. You will lose your projects for the day. Your wallet will be damaged if you try to help this person. God, you're leading me into danger. Maybe only a little danger, but I don't like it. Well, that is what happens. God leads them intentionally back into Egypt so that Pharaoh will say, they have no idea where they're going. Look at that. They're coming right back. The idiots. The wilderness has confused them. That is why God leads them back toward Egypt. The Almighty doesn't opt for the path of least resistance. So he tells them to turn around and go back. And then he says, here's the plan. The plan is that I will get glory over Pharaoh. And I will do it by, once again, hardening Pharaoh's heart. So we've seen 11 rounds now. Aaron's rod swallowing the other rods, and then the ten plagues, so that's eleven rounds, and God and Pharaoh are eleven to nothing. Pharaoh hasn't won a single one at this point. God is going to make it an even dozen. Right? Forget best of three, best of five, best of nine, best of eleven. God is satisfied with best of twelve. Twelve times in a row, and he is going to get glory over Pharaoh, so he hardens Pharaoh's heart, One more time, Pharaoh is a prop in God's revelation of himself. God doesn't say, I will help Pharaoh, I will give him one more chance to repent, I will lead him towards greater human flourishing one more time. No, I will get glory over Pharaoh. Pharaoh comes into this only to make me look good, the Almighty says. And again, a question for us. Are you willing to let God be the center of the universe? The one who makes you a prop in his drama of self-revelation. Who isn't about you and your felt needs and desires. Who's about him. And therefore, you are important to him insofar as you come into his plan for him and his own glory. That was what... God said about Pharaoh, I will get glory, I will magnify myself over Pharaoh, and I'll do it by him chasing you. So once again, God says, then the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. 
We've heard this refrain many times in the book of Exodus. They will know that I am Yahweh. Exodus is the book of the knowledge of God. When you read this book, you come to understand who the Lord is. He is the one who will stop at nothing to bring his people out. That's the first half, the Exodus. The second half, he is the one who demands that we worship him his way. That's the second half. The Ten Commandments, the regulations, the tabernacle, all of that stuff. So God is revealing himself, and in our passage tonight, he reveals himself at the Red Sea. Pharaoh had learned enough to ask for Moses' blessing back in chapter 12. Now he's forgotten all of those lessons. In fact, the rabbis said that when it says, verse 6, he harnessed his chariot, that Pharaoh went and did that personally. He was so eager to get out and to attack Israel. Pharaoh forgets his lessons and he wants to go beat up God's people. He takes 600 chariots, Pharaoh pursues, and the dust of Pharaoh's chariots looms up on the horizon. And what does Israel say? We are in deep yogurt. We're in trouble. And the first thing they do, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, they cried to the Lord. It does say that, the first thing they did. And then the next thing they do is blame their pastor. Moses, were there no graves in Egypt? Why have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Of course, their question is supremely sarcastic and ironic. There is, to this day, no land on earth better known for its tombs It's giant monuments. Already in Moses' day, the Great Pyramids were some 1,500 years old. Egypt, since forever, had been the land of death and tombs and embalming. If you think of a famous dead body, you think right away of King Tut or some other mummy, some great pyramid out there in the sand, the Valley of the Kings or... There are so many graves in Egypt. That's the only thing that's in Egypt. Oh, they have cotton too. But Egyptian cotton is on hard times. Graves are what Egypt does best. And the people know that. They lived there for 400 years and they assault Moses with that. Weren't there enough graves in Egypt? Why did we come here to make more graves? They're angry. They're tearing into (coughs) Moses with whatever they have. And they literally say, they use the key word, let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians. What happened to let my people go that they may serve me? Now it's the people have been let go to serve God and they don't want to serve God. They are begging to go serve the Egyptians. That's how much their redemption had done for them. God's people denounced him as soon as they saw 600 picked chariots on the horizon. The brick making wasn't so bad, I guess. Serving the Lord stinks. And again, the same situation comes up in the life of God's people today. Who am I going to serve? Beelzebub offers... Well... He offers anything that comes to his head, right? Because he's a liar. The devil offers all kinds of things. Unlimited pleasure. 
unlimited fun, unlimited revenge, unlimited this and that. He's lying, but that's what he offers. Would you rather serve the devil in the land of graves or serve God in the wilderness, the place where there is nothing and you have to depend on him? Right? God engineered this not only for Pharaoh's benefit, but also for his people's benefit to back them into a corner where they had nothing left but him. Are you ready to serve God then when it costs you peace of mind? When it costs you relationships you value? When it costs you money or time? When it costs you a job? Will you still serve the Lord when mammon has so much to offer? Or when Beelzebub claims he has so much to offer? That's the test that confronted Israel as they're cornered there at the sea. But God speaks and he says, here's what I'm going to do. I will save you. I will let you out through this secret back door. Now, why doesn't God split the sea immediately? He makes the people wait. He has to tell them first what's going to happen. And he makes them wait at least 12 hours, maybe a little bit longer. It's time of testing their faith. It's daytime as Pharaoh's chariots approach. And then the night, nighttime comes just as the chariots arrive. And it, it mentions that several times. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, verse 21. The Lord caused the sea to go back all that night. It was, Pharaoh catches up, dust comes, and then God says, here's what I'll do. I will get glory over Pharaoh, and it's more glorious to hold Pharaoh back, open the sea, show by keeping Pharaoh away for 12 hours that I'm in charge of the situation, and then show by having the sea crash in on him at dawn that I'm still in charge of this situation. And it's more glorious for God to freeze everything for 12 hours while they wait for the sea to open. And that's what he does. So he describes what he'll do. I'll fight for you. Go forward. Moses, stretch out your rod. And Moses does that. God positions himself as Israel's shield then. The angel of God leaves the front of the camp. The pillar of cloud and fire moves around behind Israel. Again, a glorious picture. If you want to get to them, you have to go through me, God says to Pharaoh. If you feel like tangling with the self-feeding fire, go right ahead. And of course, Egypt doesn't budge. They see the pillar of fire wrapped in cloud that's lighting up the camp of Israel so that they can see across the sea. That's also a cloud and darkness to Egypt so that they can't see except that there's fire in their path. And they wait all night. They don't attack because God has frozen them. God is our shield. And again, he literally shows the people that by moving between them and their aggressors. He's asking, do you believe in me? Do you trust me? Do you know that no matter how bad things look, I can save you? 
So God is their shield. And then he keeps his promise to split the sea. Moses stretches out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. Talk about a nail biter. Surely there were not many Israelites who had any fingernails left because where are they? It's an east wind. That means a wind from the east. So they are standing somewhere on the shore of the Red Sea or the Gulf of Aqaba. You can always look at your map if you need to. They're there on the shore. They are on the Africa side. And they're wanting to go over to the Sinai side, the Asia side. So they're in Africa, they want to go over to Asia. And the wind is coming from the Asian side, from the east. And so the sea splits, and it splits from the other side. The wind comes, and it starts to open the sea first on the Asian side. And you're standing there, and you say, well, the pillar of cloud is behind me. I'm here on the beach, the sea is in front of me, and it is opening in an agonizingly slow fashion. We should not think of uh, the way Cecil B. DeMille has it in the Ten Commandments, where Moses drops the staff and the sea goes, and opens up in about ten seconds. This is a test of faith. As you feel that ferocious wind blow on the sea, and you see it ever so slowly inching its way open. That's how God does it. And it takes most of the night. The strong east wind all that night. And the waters were divided. A little hint of the creation account. God divided the waters from the waters. So he does that. The dry land appears. And God keeps his promise. So then the children of Israel go in. They cross through the night, and in the morning watch, verse 24, God looked down upon the army of the Egyptians. The pillar of cloud had moved, presumably back in front of the children of Israel to lead them through the sea. The Egyptians realized that. It's starting to get light, and they charge into the sea after the Israelites. And God looks down, verse 24, He just looks at them. And what does he see? A huge force of armed warriors coming to assault defenseless, unarmed women and children, refugees, ex-slaves who are trying to get away. That's what he sees. And what does God think of that? Well, he hates it. He troubled the army of the Egyptians. He clogs their wheels somehow. And some translations sound really ridiculous. He took off their chariot wheels so that they drove with difficulty. That's what New King James has. Well, yeah, it's difficult to drive a chariot with no wheels. But whether he took them off, whether he clogged them, whether he made them you know, go through mud or something, we don't know exactly what he did, but the Egyptian chariot forces are slowed down. And then the Egyptians start to get a clue. Wait, God is fighting for them. And so the Lord tells Moses, Israel gets across. God says to Moses, stretch the rod back out. And when the morning dawned, so right at that moment of dawn, as the sun 
comes up over the Asian horizon and shines across the Red Sea toward Africa, the sea starts to come back together. So naturally then, the Egyptians were fleeing into it. Now that sounds so ridiculous, but it is ridiculous. It's utterly hilarious because the sea opened from the Asian side. The Egyptians realize that they're in really bad shape as the sun comes up and they start to see where they are. And so what's their first thought? Turn around and go back to the shore we came from. Well, naturally, that's the place that opened last, and therefore that's where the sea closes again first. So the Egyptians are running pell-mell back toward the Africa side, even though Egypt or Israel on the far shore can see that that's exactly where the sea is coming together. They're literally running into the sea. And as Psalm 77 says, lightnings lit the world, the earth trembled and shook. It seems that there was a massive storm at the same time with lightning crashing into the seabed all around them. And the Egyptians have only one thought, get out of here. And so they run right into the walls of water that come crashing together on top of them. And there's the Red Sea, sparkling in the morning sun. And Moses and the people of Israel stand on the far bank. And the people feared the Lord. No survivors crawl out on the beach. Right, Morning swims in bronze armor don't go very well. And that is that. They feared the Lord, they believed the Lord, and his servant Moses. The talk of graves in Egypt, the talk of wanting to serve these Egyptians, has vanished again. No, my lot is with Yahweh. I want to serve him. He just did what? I can still hardly believe I'm on the Asia shore. I'm on the, the Sinai Peninsula side. How did that happen? Where is the Egyptian army? They were just here. So they believed the Lord. That's the lesson of God's deliverance. He said, I will show you who I am. And he did. He's the one who saves his people by whatever means necessary, including that strong wind, the Ruach of God, the Spirit of God moving over the face of the waters that divides the waters from the waters. And at that moment, when he says, let there be light, when the sun comes up, he takes out Israel's enemies and brings Israel safely onto the far shore. So believe the Lord when he says, I'm a better master than Beelzebub, than Mammon, than whatever the God that's tempting you is. Believe him. He knows what he's talking about. And then the people believed Moses. Moses is the one who said, God is telling us to turn around and march back into Egyptian territory. People probably had a hard time believing that. No, I don't think God is telling us that. I think you're nuts, Moses. But after they saw this, they believed Moses. Because Israel did cross the Red Sea, we need to believe Moses too. We need to believe his writings. Right? The book of Genesis that tells how God created the world and called a family. Exodus that tells how God saved that family from Egypt. 
Leviticus that tells how God opened the way back into his presence after we were expelled from Eden. Numbers that tells how God brought the people to the edge of the promised land. Deuteronomy that rehashes all of that again for us. And then, yeah, those are the five books of Moses that tell us what we need to know we should believe in. Because Israel came through the Red Sea. Let's pray. Father, help us to believe you and your servant Moses. We thank you that your people did believe. That they waited on the seashore through that agonizing night as the sea parted from the other side. That they marched through. That you brought the sea back in on top of the Egyptians who were running pell-mell into it. Lord, we praise you for that. We ask that you would help us to believe in you as the God of the Red Sea, the one who brings us safely through, the one who brought your people from the land of graves into the promised land. Thank you, Father. We ask your help to believe you and your servant Moses. In Jesus' name. Amen.